All right. Hello and welcome to Just Animals Podcast. I'm Elle and with me as always is my dad, aka Guy. Hello, pod world. It's great to see you or hear you. Thank you for being a listener and a viewer. We appreciate okay. it. Okay. Thank you, NPR. And then back with us for Hyenas. Oh, you just got low. What happened? How about now? That's better. Sorry. Back with us for Hyenas oh. part two. Yeah. Something's... Something's fleek, freaking out. Okay. Sorry about That's that, guys. Good. That's yes, good. back for Hyenas Part 2, we have Dr. Dre. Thank you so much for coming back. We are super excited to uh, address a couple more things about these wonderful spotted hyenas. Uh, so let's get into it. Uh, their behavior. And now, they're a female-dominated species, correct? If we, I believe we touched on that a little bit. Matriarchy. Absolutely. Yes, matriarchy. Okay. And that um, they're often most active at night, and they spend about 15 to 80% of their time resting or not moving, and that they're also one of the most social carnivores. Is that... True, and from your field experience, can you corroborate that? Yes. Um, they're technically known as crepuscular, which means active mostly at dawn and dusk. Okay. So, you know, um, but you'll see hyenas sorry. active at basically any time of the day. Sure, sure. Dr. Dre, I think we may have touched on this the previous one, but being old, uh, OG, uh, I'm, I don't remember. Do oh Is there any people in Africa or were there is there any are there any are there any people in Africa excuse me for my bad grammar that try to keep these animals as pets there are always people who are going to try to keep wild animals as pets I wouldn't I wouldn't categorize a particular group of people per se or a particular but, continent even right yeah. so do these uh do the hyenas ultimately turn on them or do they look at them as an alpha uh, person or male or female the ones um, that keep- i think it would largely depend on the person and the relationship between the hyena and said person so okay. if you participated in rearing them at a particularly impressionable age then they will probably look to you as a mom of sorts for the rest of their lives. But um, like any, any wild animal, they, they can have their moments. So does right. my daughter. A wild, okay. It's, yeah. It's a wild <laughs> animal. We had, um, we had uh, uh, Wangan from the Malaysians, from the Bernie and Sun Bear rescue, you know, sun bears are about the size of Rottweilers. And yeah, because they're a small bear, people think like, oh, how cute. I'm going to turn this small bear into a pet. And then, you know, the bear they starts doing bear thing. Right. And then the bear starts being a bear. And then all of a sudden it's not cute and fun to have a pet bear anymore. <laughs> right. Right. Well, it was inter- it a, a interesting. Comment. A reoccurring theme on this show, people trying to domesticate well, wild, wild animals. animals. Yeah. <laughs> I just read this thing that PETA now has- uh, oh. PETA can petitioned suck it. Hallmark and other card manufacturers not to show chimpanzees in clothing or doing human things because it it desensitizes people to the fact that these are you know wild animals and they're not humans and their whole rap and it's like okay well all right fine all it's right it's a cartoon though no they're showing pictures of chimpanzees wearing clothing or funny hats or playing poker or something like that, you know, and they, they don't want. Well, there's long been a movement to get animals out of that kind of film industry, uh, showing them as, you know, in movies as and wearing clothes and so forth. It, it, yeah. There are problems depicting animals in the, in that light. 
Ah, okay. Yeah. You know, I don't, I imagine putting a sweater on a hyena would not work very well for most people. I mean, maybe, have you ever tried to, the hyenas you've raised, did you ever try to put sweaters on them or hats? No. (laughs) We just let them be hyenas. Do you think they would like having a sweater on? (laughs) Only llamas, only llamas like hats. You just talked over her. Hush. Sorry. Sorry. Could you repeat that? I, I, I only insofar as they would enjoy ripping it off and tearing right. it into shreds. Right. Yeah. It'd be a fun game. It's like, oh, look, I put, mom put this thing on me and I we get to rip it up. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So then I was also noticing too that higher ranking females have greater reproductive success and that offspring receive a rank directly under their mom when they reach maturity. So can you go into like the clan um, ranking system a little bit? The ranking system? Well, the hyena ranking system is is very interesting for carnivores because it's unusual, but it's virtually identical to the, what you would see in um, in in monkeys, in, in rhesus monkeys, for instance, or baboons. So um, females give birth and invest in those cubs. And when those cubs get into a spat with another female's cubs, there's already an established relationship between the adult females And so those youngsters have to learn their place in society, which they do by whether or not the mother will come to their aid um, and help them if it's a lower ranking animal that they're confronting and maybe not help them as much if it's a higher ranking animal that they're confronting. Gotcha. And so through maternal intervention, maternal recruitment, uh, young hyenas learn their place in society. And likewise, every other animal learns that hyena's place in society as being very close in rank to that of its mother. Okay. Okay. That's very interesting. So with respect to the rest of the animal world, is this a higher social behavior than other animals that you know of? I mean, like, yeah, they're the the most social carnivores, aren't they? They are, yeah. They have very large clans and and they belong to what's called an individualized society, meaning that every member of the group knows who every other member of the group is and knows what position they occupy, um, where they are in the social standing. And uh, so that does imply that animals have good capacities for individual recognition um, and the memory that it takes to remember, you know, to remember all of those relationships. The idea being that if you're a, uh, a member of a large group and you are, you have a pecking order, it's better to know which animal can beat you up without having to actually physically experience that firsthand, right? So yeah. if you know, oh, that's that's Betty, daughter of Mary, and they're high ranking, higher ranking than me, then I don't have to get in a one-to-one combat with any of those descendants, if even if I've never interacted with them before. I can know through their associations, through their relationships, that that entire matriline is higher ranking than me, and I'm not going to pick a fight with them. Oh, okay. I think your spotted hyena might want to go out. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. No, she, that's okay. Sorry about what kind that. Of dog no, is no, that no, 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 no. Okay, don't use my slave. Don't yes, use but, it's a, it's a Catahoula hound. 
Catahoula. Catahoula, leopard cur. Yeah, the Louisiana state dog. They've got quite the personalities. So that's very interesting. That's so, so, okay. I think they did this with dolphins this is a little off topic, but can hyenas recognize themselves? Like, did you ever get a mirror and see if they could identify themselves in the mirror? We, we actually did that um, not as a scientific experiment, but as part of a, <laughs> as part of an, um, a documentary series, lions versus hyenas. It was, what was it? Um, Killer IQ. Uh-huh. And so we, we did give the mirror self-recognition uh, tests, but um, yeah, nothing that nothing that I did on a more rigorous experimental basis. Okay. Okay. Has Nat Geo ever done a hyena special? I I don't Can recall. You turn your phone off, please. Yeah, I'm t- I'm doing that right now. Um, Nat Geo, I did they do Eternal Enemies, or am I making that up? We can. I can't we can imagine that they haven't done a hyena special. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. So I mean, hyenas have a great visual system, and so while not focused on whether they can recognize themselves, it's likely that they can visually recognize other members of the group. And so just like humans um, who recognize hyenas based on their spot patterns. So just like zebras have their own unique stripe signature, so do uh, spotted hyenas have their unique dot pattern. So they're they're born all black and then they gradually get lighter so that, you know, they start getting lighter from their head down through their shoulders, through their torso to their butt. And then the last thing to go are their feet, which is why they still have the dark feet. Oh, that's right. They have those little, those cute black boots. Yeah, those little boots, right? (laughs) So basically the spots on a spotted hyena are what are left of their original natal black coat. Okay. So it's like a reverse Dalmatian. They're not born with their spots. You know, like the Dalmatians are born bald, you know, just white, and then they get the spots, but the hyenas, their coat fades, and that's what that's really yes. interesting. Wow, yeah, very the coat cool. Fades and what's left are the spots, and these spots are a unique identifier of the animals that humans rely on. Right. And we had some colleagues who looked at the visual capabilities based on, on the retina of hyenas and showed that they could that they had the visual acuity to do the same thing. And wow. that's likely to explain the last time you were asking me something about their sensory modality. And I had said, oh yeah, and vision, because they can actually see a hyena roaming, you know, on the horizon. And if it's a member of their clan, they won't react to it, yet it's too right. far to smell and it's right. not making any sound. Right. Whereas if it's an intruder animal, a member from a neighboring clan, they will get up and react aggressively. And this points to the fact that they can tell individual, or they can at least tell whether you're a group member or not a group member right. from a distance. So based on sight. Right. Okay. And then is that kind of like, I don't know if this relates to humans, but you know, when you live with other people, you can tell which family member is approaching by the way that they walk. Is that, can they also tell by that too? Or is that hypothesized that they can tell by the way the animal is moving or the way it sounds when it's moving? I suspect they can tell 
through lots of different ways and are probably even more sensitive to that than than, than we, we are than we are okay so either from gate you know from from scent they have a characteristic each one will have a scent signature right they have a vocal signature they have a visual you know the spot signature so there's lots of different ways that animals can discriminate between each other and more so than just discriminate that they can recognize one individual right right like this so is I, Susie I, I have a yes. question wow. um there was a show on National Geographic about certain animals losing their fear do the hyenas learn fear from the social aspect or is it some um uh, innate thing that they have fear and I don't know if they even have fear but uh, they do. do. They're very neophobic. And I would say that, that they're, they're kind of born with that. They're very attentive to detail and um, initially very reactive to, to movement in the environment, sound in the environment, you know, a leaf blowing across. They, as any predator should be, right? Right. They pay attention to what's going around uh, them, but they also have some degree of neophobia. So they're, they, they wouldn't be the first to approach uh, a strange object or a strange situation. They would react with hesitancy. And I would say that that comes, that, that they're equipped with that. I don't think that that's something that they pick up socially. Okay. And is that where the giggling would come in when they're unsure? Like, you know, let's see a new object they've never seen appears. Would they start kind of, giggling kind of like walking around um, it no i mean the giggling is really fear and upset so i okay. think more neophobia would tend to be done quietly right if, okay if you're not sure what a situation is you're right you want to draw attention is, to yourself is, is right to freeze investigate right. be, be silent or get out right. of there right right um so giggling is more reserved for a, a more stressful right anxiety inducing situation yeah okay okay gotcha okay and then really quick one last thing here um yes so that the i was also reading to aggression resident females tend to attack female intruders more than male intruders and females typically initiate aggressive behavior they will lunge push chase bite and pin opponents to the ground so this i mean in totality is, is just a female run society or clan if you will so she's so Instead of, you know, like the male lion defending the pride, it's the female, alpha female defending her clan. Do I have that correct? Yeah, but um, hyenas. <laughs> oh. Sorry it's for okay. the disruption. Oh, she's well. so cute. Is that the same dog? Yeah, yes. She's just oh. energized by having gone outside. and. Do, um, the are these, uh, are, are hyenas monogamous or are they just? No. What? No, no, they're not. Okay. They're multi-male, multi-female. Um, but to come back to the question about defense, what's one of the cool things that hyenas do is they form coalitions. Oh, and wow. um, so when they have intruders, it's something that would be akin to clan warfare, right? Potential oh intruders God. walking in on their territory. What the residents will do, and the females will be at the forefront of this, is that they will stand shoulder to shoulder uh, and walk together in a true coalition. 
Oh my God. So ears forward, main pilo erected, you know, the, right. the weight up in the front. Um, looking big and, and scary, like looking what you big want. and scary um, and standing next to all of their, their partners. Um, wow. No, thank you. <laughs> so presenting this unified front right. and, you know, males will participate in those coalitions as well, but um these these things, sorry, these <laughs> things tend to be uh, female-led. Yeah. Wow, that's. I mean, I would be very intimidated to just see a line of hyenas walking at me. I'd be like, "All right, we we're going to leave now. No, thank you." Wow. Yeah, that's, no, it's that's, impressive. That's. I mean, have you observed that behavior when you were in the field? Oh yeah, you can, oh, you can must... observe it in captivity too. Oh, re- oh, in captivity, it's, e- a, it's okay. a very it's it's a strong behavior, and and whenever there's a confrontation between um, animals, whether they're on either side of a fence or whether they're facing off in the uh, in Kenya, it's the the exact same behavior. They they form wow. these coalitions. Oh my gosh, that's that's amazing. And then and and the way they like communicate this, like okay, everyone get in line. You know, they're not saying everyone get in line. It's just they just know. They, they know. just yeah they they know. There's probably some degree of communication through olfactory cues, social sniffing. There's a level of excitement that's coming up. You you, you can, if one individual detects an intruder, others will follow gaze and, and, you know, it's sort of like a social spreading thing. Gotcha. Wow. That's nuts. All right. So finally, the finally, 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 reproduction. I'm just going to let you take take the we're gonna let you just take the reins on this one because what no questions uh, no. i'm just, just uh, i'm just were... waiting to hear about the pseudo penis because that's uh there it is all right there, there it is. is yes pseudo penis right. is extended clitorises or clitoris is it clitorises or clitori i don't i don't know well they well, only but... have one so it's fine to just say clitoris <laughs> Oh, okay. okay, great. Extended clitoris, you know, pseudo penis, very tight birth canal. I mean, yeah, it, so- from what you've explained to me initially and what I've seen in shows is like, it's, birth should be impossible for them almost. <laughs> yes, it's, it's counterintuitive for sure. Um, so hyenas are the only mammals on the planet who... Uh, lack uh, a vaginal aperture um, and who instead have a penis-like clitoris. So it's elongated. It, it to, to the untrained eye, looks like a penis, um, which means that they have one opening, like the male, through which they urinate, copulate, oh, wow. and give birth, right? So like that's a busy female. <laughs> are you are you with me? Yeah. Yes, yes, that's a busy hole. Sounds- yes. Yes, it's a it's it is busy. So I mean it's basically like if you added giving birth to a male, then Oh my then no, thank you. It's one hey, Dad, you want to give birth? No. For all I was of having those- this discussion with your mother this morning. I said the human race would come to an end if it were up to me to have a baby. <laughs> oh, oh uh, she hears you back there in the <laughs> but anyways the yes so <laughs> 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 
Yeah, so so there is this one opening. And so what's unusual about the female spotted hyena is that her entire birth canal has been rerouted through her clitoris. So it's not, it's, it's a urogenital canal. So like, like the male, but um, so it's, it's masculinized, but also not because masculinized would mean larger erectile, you know, what have you, but it would never really mean that you reroute your entire birth canal through it. Right. 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 So it's this very unusual, it's a unique structure. Um, only the spotted hyena has it, so not, not other hyenas. Um, okay. And yeah, so it presents challenges. It presents challenges to the male to mate through this uh, structure. It presents even bigger challenges to females to give birth through this structure. So... Um, where, wow. where would you like to go from here? Let's okay. Let's start from the internal parts, the birth canal. That is, you know, essentially a zigzag. Let's 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 go into that. Let's go into that a little bit first. So the birthing process. Yeah, let's do that. Um, all right. Well, so for people to imagine with us, if you imagine a dog with the head facing one direction and the tail facing the other. What you would typically get in a female mammal is birth going towards the tail end in a relatively straight line. Right. Right. Okay. And what happens in the hyena is that when the fetus is going towards the rear, it then has to make a right angle turn through the pelvis and go the opposite direction. And on this, if you imagine this side, this animal as a male dog and imagine where the penis would be on this male dog, that is essentially where the clitoris is on the female. Oh, so going and back so, towards the head. Yeah, going back to... So in other words, the introitus, the entry point or, or the birthing canal point, instead of being close to where the tail would be it's closer to where the belly button would be how does that oh affect God. the copulation right? i'll use the right word okay so if we want to start from the beginning from from mating, oh yeah let's start from the very beginning yeah sorry it's um, <laughs> a good place having to give birth through this structure so if if you would look carefully at a baby male and a baby female you would see that the opening in the female is ever so slightly larger than the opening in the baby male but certainly not large enough to receive an erect penis through at the time of sexual maturity and so the female um, experiences this hormone called relaxin which helps sort of loosen the opening so that it can be large enough to receive a male during copulation. But the first thing you have to dispel from your imagination is that just because the female is capable of getting these full erections, it's not a sexual response from the female. So it's not like putting a pencil inside of a pencil. Instead, the female is, in, is completely flaccid during the act of mating, and she has these special retractor muscles 
that pull her phallus up and make it flush with the abdomen, kind of creating a, an, like a vaginal aperture, if you will. Okay. But it's still very far forward, right? Like I said, closer to the belly button than to the, the tail. Um, and so for mating, the male hyena has to, I mean, his biggest challenge is that he has to achieve entry from a very forward position. So he has to squat down on his haunches and sort of scoot his posterior under the hyena to be able to achieve entry from that um, advanced position. So male spotted hyenas are particularly well endowed because they have a longer trajectory. And in this regard, they have similarities with the male elephant because the female elephant also has this advanced introitus. Oh, wow. Um, wow. So he also, um, it, it's flush, but it's still hard to, it, it's, it's not a vagina. And so it's not as large as a vagina. So he still has to achieve, he still has to penetrate um, and what it means is that he sort of has to get some leverage. And so to the trained eye, you can tell the difference between a male and a female hyena when their phallus is erect based on the contour that it has. So a female's contour will be rounded. She'll be slightly thicker, slightly shorter than the male with a rounded contour and the male will be slightly longer, slightly thinner, and he will have a pointed contour as well as an indentation that kind of makes a hook right at the glands. Oh, and wow. when he achieves erections, he actually has this flipping mode. His, his erection performs these flipping motions and that's sort of to locate where that entry is and the little hook on his glands is to help him grasp and to basically achieve some footing. Um, and so anyway, that, that, that's the part about uh, copulation. Now, wow. for a first-time female, when she, for a first-time female, spotted hyenas actually have an unusually long gestation period relative to their other hyena cousins. So it's actually 110 days, which is 10 to oh, 20 wow. days longer than other hyenas. And what this means is that hyenas are actually born bigger than they should be for an animal of that size. Oh boy. So not only do they have a smaller opening, but they have a bigger fetus to give birth through. Uh, Fabulous. Okay, right. yeah, so it really just sounds like, I, I mean, it seems like with Darwinism, it's like these animals should not exist between the mating right. process. I mean, it's the perfect argument <laughs> against intelligent design. Because not only that, but they don't, you know, most of us have umbil uh, an umbilical cord that's long enough to jump rope with, right? We have excess right. umbilical cord. The spotted hyena's umbilical, umbilical cord is not long enough for the journey. Um oh given given that right angle i mean not you know it's just it's too short and so what happens in uh a female who's a mom for the first first time so she's pregnant but she's never given birth before is that this fetus has to go through the uh 
through the pelvis, do a right angle turn, and then enter essentially a phallus, which is nothing like a uterus, right? So it doesn't have all of that musculature to propel the fetus. Oh, okay, right? yeah. So think of any mammal, female mammal, her uterus, the, those contractions are at their right. maximum when a female is giving birth, right? Right, right. And it's those push contractions it out. are what are pushing that fetus out. And instead for right. a female hyena, this fetus enters this phallus and it, which doesn't have that uterine musculature to oh, gosh. propel it, on top of which the opening at the end is too small for this nearly two kilogram fetus to pass through. So what ultimately has to happen for a first time hyena mom is that her clitoris needs to tear. Ouch. And that pre-tearing process can be delayed. So if you think back to the fact that her umbilical cord isn't long enough, you've so, got a fetus that is detached from the placenta oh. and therefore detached from its source of air. Okay, um, yeah, so he's they're free diving, essentially. <laughs> so yeah. how many, um, do you call them pups? I don't know. I don't know she what's said the pups. Cubs. Cubs. Let her finish. Let her um, finish. She's just talking about the mom, the mom, a first yeah, time mom. It's, it's let's, freaky. Let's wow. Go ahead. I mean, ahead. again, well, it's, it's, you're blowing our minds here because it's like, how are these, how are they able to survive as a species? You know? <laughs> so what pushes the, the baby out, the, the, the baby gravity? out? Is it gravity? Well, the mom is bearing down. She's doing her best. And oh, first time deliveries uh, are, they're, they're, they're a little tough to watch. I got to say. That's um, kind of brutal. So she's I'm not going to lie. Her, her hardest, but but basically this this cub will be lodged, can be lodged in this phallus for a, a fairly long time, and typically hyena litters can be anywhere between one, two, three, mm. and so the first one will have started this descent and will get stuck there, and perhaps the second one in line will also begin this journey and will soon also become detached from the placenta. So the clock is really ticking, and invariably what happens in first-time deliveries is that the, the, the first cub suffocates, it becomes hypoxic and suffocates in while in the phallus. Eventually the phallus tears, um, the, the fetus passes through, the mother does everything that she should do in trying to lick this, you know, right. clean Reviving. everything up. It's, it's not going to be, you know, it'll typically be, be stillborn. At oh. times the second one will also be stillborn. If it's a oh triplet litter, by the time the second one has gone through, once this, once the clitoris is torn, it's ragged. It's not like an episiotomy, right? It's ragged and it stays that way. Um, and so by the time the third one is born, it's, it's much easier. It's basically <laughs> coming out fine. So if it's a first time mom with a triplet litter, she, she, she could lose all three, but typically she will lose the first two and the third might survive. Um, that's once brutal that's too. happened second time moms as i said because this tear is uneven it remains torn and so that's a little fun fact you can you can always tell in the wild if a female has given birth before or not just by looking at whether she has a tear along this this organ um but after that, you, so this seems 
crazy, right? And and yes. yeah, this seems like yeah. science fiction. I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna lie. I mean, this seems like something someone wrote in a in a science fiction novel, right? Like you'd say, wait, that's not realistic. We can't have that, right? Like some um, sci-fi porno kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> but if you sort of step back and consider, so afterwards, females get pregnant and give birth, and it's kind of just like any other birth, right? Um, she still has the possibility of the fetus getting lodged in her pelvis if it's ultra big, right? So there's, uh, there's not just the risk to the, the cubs, but there's also the risk to the mom. But the, for the most part, it's that first delivery that's problematic. And if you put it in the context of other animals, a lot of first time moms lose their, their young. Yeah. I mean, even humans, I mean, experience or, or, you know, for whatever reasons, first time moms don't do so well rearing, rearing their offspring. So in the grand scheme of things, it might not be right. It might not be all that different, but it it certainly gets your attention. And and the, the striking thing is, oh my gosh, why, why would this, how, how would this have evolved? Who designed it? Yeah, who, who, yeah, who, I would like to talk to the architecture of this, the architect of this design, please. So, so in, um, against intelligent design. In yeah, reproduction, no um, is there sort of a breeding season or are they constantly fertile? Uh, do they have uh, their period or how, how does I guess that the hyena periods? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, they're like any other female carnivore. They, they have, an estrus cycle, but it's not like we didn't study that very well just because it means getting a lot of blood samples from animals. So it's, it it seems like a fairly straightforward question. You would think that we would have that information, but there's actually a lot that goes into detecting that, that makes it a little bit less logistically feasible than one might think. So oh, do they okay. tr- try to have babies in the spring to... Oh, oh you know? back to the breeding season. They, they're, yeah. they're not, um, they don't have a breeding season, but there, there can nonetheless be periods in which births are more common and that tends to reflect the availability of food. And, sure. You know, so, uh, yeah, they're, they're not seasonal per se, but you mm-hmm. can still see some evidence of seasonality. Got it. So wow. I had a... Yeah, I know this is insane. So I had a question. I I could be. I hope I'm not making this up, and I hope I heard this correctly. I think. Oh, and by the way, the net the um, Eternal Enemies that was National Geographic 2006. So they probably need to update the documentary, anyways. But uh, it's an awesome documentary, though. Oh, I'm. We're definitely gonna watch. Um, isn't it that female cubs? What don't they get shot up with like an extra shot of testosterone in the womb or something that makes them more? Aren't they like super super aggressive when they first right. come out? Yep. Yep. Okay, yeah, go into that a little bit, please. Or get, explain so, that to us. So the female hyena, when she's pregnant, um, something very unusual happens, which is that... Besides the whole thing. <laughs> okay. Something additionally unusual that you wouldn't <laughs> notice by looking at them, that if you were measuring their hormones, what you would also see is that their their endocrinology is unusual, and it's unusual in the sense that females start producing a lot more testosterone when they're pregnant. That's crazy. So you have this female who's 
bigger, meaner, badder than the male, right? She's more aggressive. She's dominant. She plays harder. She engages. She's in a bad Martin. bitch. She, she you know, she is, yeah, she's formidable. And that is linked to um, her exposure to androgens in utero. Okay. Uh, so if you were to, ju- to pick a male and female adult at random, the male would have higher testosterone values than the female. Nothing, sure. nothing surprising. But right. That's you, basic bio. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, there are some species in which it differs, but right. in the, in the spotted hyena, you have that typical mammalian sex difference. Right. But things change when the female's pregnant. And what happens is that um, what's, what accounts for this system partially in the hyena is that females produce a precursor androgen from their ovaries. And this precursor androgen is called androstenedione. Um, uh, some might remember this from the Mark McGuire days, which is he was doping with androstenedione before oh, do you it was remember that, illegal. Uh, I remember there, him and Jose Canseco were. Uh, and wasn't it Roger Clemens too? They all got popped at the know. same time. So well, what this, let so this androstene dione is just one metabolic step away from becoming testosterone. Oh, okay. And one metabolic step away from becoming a potent estrogen. And whether it becomes one or the other is dependent on what enzymes are locally available. Okay. All this to say that the female produces this precursor from her ovaries when she's pregnant the ovaries pump large quantities of this precursor and the female's placenta has the necessary enzymes to weirdly strange uh, change it not to estrogen like other female mammals would do but to change it to testosterone and that the that means that throughout pregnancy her androgen concentrations are getting higher and higher and her developing daughters are being bathed in this androgen soup, essentially. So they're in like testosterone soup while they're, they're in They're in room. testosterone soup, absolutely. Oh my so God. if you measure a late-term female when she's pregnant, she's got soaring testosterone concentrations. Right, right. And those testosterone concentrations are acting on the developing daughters to cause them to be able to produce high testosterone when they're adult. Okay. And it acts on the developing brain to make females more aggressive and more badass and all of this. And it also acts to some degree on the genitals to account for the differences that you see between male and female hyenas. Okay. So it's a it's a it's a it it seems like a small distinction, but it's not what distinguishes the male hyena from a female hyena were she like another mammal, but just those differences that I was saying: longer, shorter, thicker, contoured, rounded. Those differences are all due to the the androgen concentrations. Okay. Okay. Yeah. See, I was thinking they just got, got this shot at testosterone at the end, and it was like, okay, you're more aggressive, but they're bathing in it, you know, for their whole. They're bathing in months. it. Months. It's my gosh. A long time, and the the last uh, trimester is when the brain become is sensitive to those changes, and 
and sets her up to be more aggressive in adulthood. Earlier, those changes are affecting her, the, the daughter's developing ovaries so that she in turn will produce more androgen when she's pregnant as an adult. And so it's what's called an epigenetic mechanism of inheritance. Um, it, it's not encoded in the genotype, but from the endocrine, the hormonal milieu that these fetuses develop in, it creates the opportunity for that hormonal milieu to show up in the next generation. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. And now, do they get mitochondrial DNA from their mom like humans? Is that a, another like they, mammal thing or? They, they, or just they're, like, they're like any other mammal in every other respect. They're, okay. So, um, yeah, they're, they're only unusual in having this, this feature right. of extreme female masculinization and what accounts for the funky genitalia is a combo of genotype and endocrine exposure. But um, so it's a combo explanation for the genitals, but it's a hormone explanation for the behavior. Okay. Okay. So I'm assuming when female cubs come out, they're just ready to go like WWF SmackDown, like let's go. Correct. Right. And so (laughs) I was saying how these pups can start these, these cubs you know, one can be being born while the next one is in, in process, right? Um, we've actually gotten footage of a female giving birth, and it's her third in a triplet litter, and the first two are already out, and they're fighting. Oh, my God. Right? They're fighting. They fight at birth. Um, they, I mean, you just came out of the, the womb and you're already fighting. Like, oh, you're already my. fighting. And mom's trying to lick off the placenta. And she was taking a while and we were sort of saying, well, gee, mom, hurry up. You know this. And there was no worry because the other two basically came in and started aggressing against the third born before it was even out of its placenta. And they ripped the placenta off for her. <laughs> so, yeah, they're born. Preco- so remember when I said their gestation is longer? Yeah. Right. So, you know, I always give my students the the cookie analogy that different species, you know, you're either overbaked or a little underbaked. So the cookies either have a mushy inside or they have a right. little brown around the edges. Well, hyenas are definitely brown around the edges. Um, no so they're, they come out with their eyes open and their canines erupted. Oh, my God. They really are ready and- to go. They are ready to go. So the longer they spend in the oven, the more developed and precocial they're going to be. And by the same token, that longer time that they're spending in the oven is what's making them bigger and harder to give birth to. (laughs) Well, I just learned a new word that I want to ask you about, which I think it's sororicide, uh, which is sisters killing sisters. Do they participate in that oh yeah the cubs kill yeah, each other or, or it's more generally termed siblicide which is that you would kill siblicide. your sibling regardless of what sex it is so um yeah so that aggression was linked to reports of early siblicide but the problem with that term is that it gives people the impression that it's just like you would see in birds where you have one chick that you know, tosses the other chick out of the nest and 
causes its immediate death, right? It's not like that in, in hyenas. What you have, imagine a triplet litter, because this is, a, this is a good example. Another unusual feature about hyenas, because they have so many, is that they only have one pair of functional uh, nipples. So they oh, wait, just that was my have, other question too, actually. Thank you. Right. So they the have an inguinal set, you know, so low, low down, they have one pair of, of nipples. And so if you have a triplet litter and you really only have two teats, those cubs are going to be fighting over access to the milk. And so what happens in these young hyenas is, is that, well, there's a home court advantage. So the first one born is going to have a little bit of a heads up over the next one born and will likely be the dominant. But these siblings vie for dominance and that dominance relationship that gets established between these baby cubs right within the first day of birth will set up their dominance relationship pretty much for the rest of their life. Okay. Um, and so in a triplet litter, you can very well see that you would get two that would be stronger, that would keep attacking the third. And they do what's called this bite shake, which is to latch on with those erupted teeth at the nape of the neck and shake vigorously. Oh, so and literally to kill it. Well, you know, I mean, it... it, it Dogs it, do that. Yeah, dogs do. It's a, it's a it's a typical response. But what happens over time is that if you're constantly being bitten and and shaken here, you will get open sores. You can get right. infections. Um, you you will be weaker if you don't get to the the milk. Is there and a baby shaking time, syndrome of hyenas? Yeah, I was just going to ask about yeah, baby shaking syndrome, right? No, it's, they, they, they last for longer than that. So oh, um, no. so it's not like siblicide immediate, and it's certainly not always the case. But right. it's pretty much, I think, guaranteed that you're not going to get a triplet litter surviving in the wild. You'll get two. So you get litter reduction, but it happens over time. Okay. So it's do you, like, you think it's typically the first one is the dominant sibling? I think the first one has a little bit the home court advantage, but it it's not set in stone that the first one is going to be the one that wins. No. That's and sad. you know, in a in a mixed sex litter, it's the female is going to emerge as dominant over her her brother. If it's two sisters, they're going to vie for that dominance position. But it does get established early, and under normal circumstances, it it sets them up for for the rest of their relationships. Wow. Well, it's a fascinating animal, and um, they've got a lot of interesting. It's it's amazing the species has survived. I say that about humans as well. <laughs> um. And this, uh, this was like that. What was that uh, thing with the slime? That fish? What the was hagfish. That fish? Hagfish. Yeah. This is hagfish you know you don't even know about some of these things in the animal kingdom. It's just amazing that uh, that the way they've evolved. I mean, how how long do you think uh, the spotted hyenas have been around? Do do we know? Oh yeah, they've had ancestors you know, prehistoric times. So, um, Oh, so they've been I'm doing not, this for a long time. 
Yeah, the only problem is that we know that there was an ant. So hyenas, spotted hyenas are crocuda crocuda, and they come from pachycrocuda, which were basically the size of rhinoceros. Okay. Um, wow. There's no way in the in the fossil record that you can tell whether this masculinization existed in those ancestors. Amazing. It's, it's, all, it's about the soft parts. Um, right, which don't would, really get preserved. Which don't get preserved. And hyenas don't have the, the baculum or, or os clitoris. So some species have a bone in, in their penis or clitoris, and, and you can reconstruct some things from that. But spotted hyenas are a species that lack that. Wow. Amazing. All right. So, well, you know, before we go here really quick, um, so I know that they're, they've got like one of the strongest bite forces. I mean, they have like one of the strongest bites in the animal kingdom. And I know we talked about PSI, but it's estimated around 1100 PSI and, you know, they can easily crush bone and that their biggest predators and threats are lions. Um, that they also hunt the same prey humans. And then fun fact, they can run up to 40 miles per hour. And then I don't know if you ever saw this and if you can corroborate this but that the maasai people leave their deceased to be consumed by hyenas is that like one sect of the maasai people or is that all of them or did you ever well that's, witness that's this? more yeah so that's less about the hyenas and more about certain tribal folks it's not unique right um so people in tibet leave their their dead out to be consumed by scavengers so oh. it's not that they leave them out for hyenas per se they leave right. them out for scavengers and hyenas are among them but so are lions right um, so it's not unique to the hyena and it's okay. certainly not unique to the maasai sure um and it just i mean it has more to do with not believing in the afterlife and having a more green form of disposal yeah oh it I, is I pretty mean, green and then do so they, as far do they eat the bones yeah, we talked about the last do, time. They yeah. crush bones. They, wow. it's, All right. it's bone powder. It's bone broth form. So then as far as their conservation status, threatened, near threatened, endangered, what's their deal? Well, you know, if you go by the IUCN, they're going to be least concerned, but I'm I'm not a huge okay. fan of, of you know, attributing a conservation status to something is, is, is not just motivated by the actual status of the animal it's also motivated by politics of species oh, conservation absolutely. and which species is so, popular at the time absolutely we've yeah, yeah we've so I don't that want, as well. basically my take and i think the take of probably any large carnivore biologist is that every carnivore on the planet is endangered or yeah. soon to be endangered uh, you know threatened for sure <laughs> They're, you know, they're, they're being exterminated. They come into conflict with humans. The uh, lions are being poisoned in particular, but poisons are indiscriminate. So anything around will eat it and die. Um, I think the fate of large carnivores is, is dire. um, dire. And, you know, so spotted hyenas, least concerned, but I think that that's really bad news to say those sorts of things because it just makes people... Um, oblivious to the fact that right like oh they're fine whatever yeah are are any any people's using uh, hyenas for food stuff or are people eating hyenas yeah okay i i would not want to eat that so then uh, also really quick here you how many have you reared like yourself 
so it, me at, at two. And you had them in your house? So, yeah. So this was, I, I, I did tell you that I would come back to this. And this is yes. what happens when you have a first time mom <laughs> who has given birth to a not fully dead, but mostly dead hyena oh, because no. of this difficulty. Right. Eek. So the, the hyenas that we raised, I was certainly not the only one, were all those pretty much deriving from problematic litters um, okay. because they were first time moms. And once we knew what this was, you know, what was happening. Uh, so this, one of them was from a triplet litter. The first one was definitely dead. The second one was mostly dead, kind of like the Monty Python, not dead yet. Right. Right. And yeah. then the third one was fine. And it was kind of my job to try to retrieve the body of the second one. Um, so that we could make use of of it, right? Right. Without anesthetizing the mom or getting right. know, interfering. And I thought it was going to be dead until the third sibling latched onto it, started bite shaking it, oh. and that produced a, a weak cry oh. from the mostly dead second sibling. And so that sparked an intervention where we retrieved the animal, resuscitated him. And once you've done that, when you've removed the the cub from the mom before they've had a time to bond through nursing, right. um, you can't give them back. And will they kill it? They will. Oh, and so, so yeah, I mean, but that's not unusual. You've inter you've interrupted, you've interrupted the process. Yeah, I don't so know who this is. Know. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and no, that makes so, sense. So those were the instances in which we would have to make a decision if we could retrieve it and resuscitate it. Then it was raised by humans by hand. And in the case that it had a sibling, um, you know, so the hyena would come back to my house at night. And then I would bring it back to work the next day. And during the day, we would introduce it with its siblings so that it would have some proper hyena time. So was there a hyena crate you had? Like, okay, you're going in your crate now, or did they sleep on a dog yeah, bed? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a, it was a dog, dog crate like any other. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the just like anybody who's ever had a puppy and thinks that they're going to crate it. And then, of course, you bring it home and it's absolutely adorable and it's whining for attention. And you think you're right. going to leave it in this crate on a heating pad. And instead it starts whining. And so you bring it into bed with you. And ultimately, they just sort of slept right there on, on your neck um, with the body heat. And, and so the bond, let the bonding begin. Yeah. Oh, wow. They're so they darn uh... cute. That is so, yeah. I mean, that's so. How much, how much of your house did they destroy though? Because puppies are very destructive. I can only imagine a hyena cub. <laughs> well, it wasn't my house. Um, it, I had land people, and they had told me that I was not allowed to have, they specified dogs and, or cats. Okay, they well, didn't they didn't specify hyenas. Yeah, they didn't specify hyenas. They did specify hyenas. Not specify hyenas so, you know, and right. I thought, well, this is going to be cool. I'll just bring it in quietly. But like at five o'clock in the morning, this hyena was doing its, it was hungry and it did this little baby whoop, but it was like, you know. Oh. And, <laughs> um, anyway, they could hear it and ultimately they thought it was totally cool. So yeah, I, I brought it back for several months but it yeah it did start tearing up the tile flooring um which <laughs> well, you could I have just uh 
rocked the bed a little bit and they thought maybe some stuff was going on, but anyway, okay. we'll leave that for another episode. All but right. yeah, they, they can do damage for sure. Yeah. Dr. I mean, Dre, that's, that must have been so freaking amazing having a little pioneer. So, yeah, did that. They're, they're so cute they... when they're black and, and new. I don't know when they, when yeah, do they start to show their spots? Oh, oh yeah. Well, about they what start age? Getting, they, oh, it's a few weeks in. They start getting gradually, gradually, they get like eyebrows and their <laughs> little, their face gets like first. And every stage of that is just absolutely adorable. So were the the half dead ones? I mean, for lack of a better term, were they kind of mentally handicapped, or did they have any developmental problems being no, half no, dead? Were, oh, no. okay. It was just that we weren't, you know, they were, yeah, just very weak. Um, and and over the course of the history, I'm sure there were some that were not able to be resuscitated, but those that that were did just fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> Oh my God! Thank you for sneezing it in. Like they're a very sturdy and hardy species. I mean, for they all that they have to go through, they're like a rock on Wait the floor. Wait a minute! Heard that? I put it on mute. No, you did not put it on mute. You sneezed right into the mic. Thank you. I pressed the mute button. Obviously, you did not press the mute button. Yeah, now now it's muted. That's great. That is um, so. When you had so, what happened with the two cubs that you raised? Was it hard to be like, okay, time for you to go do hyena things? Or yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, you maintain a special relationship with those cubs for the rest of your rest of your life. So, did um, they recognize you as they got older, or did you see them as they got? Oh older? yeah, yeah, yeah. They definitely recognize. I mean, they would make a, a sound, a little squitter. It's called, which is a, oh. a call that they make specifically for their their mothers um, yeah and so you know if they had a bad day they would they would want to be comforted and comforted <laughs> by by their by their mamas so they could they recognized our voices so i would call out to them the first one was named the first of the ones i took care of was named phoenix rising from the ashes and oh. um the second one was winnie oh cute um, yeah, he was Eeyore's son, and um, yeah, they special place in my heart. Yep. Oh, that's so awesome. So, okay, I know there's a picture of you online of, with one, like, giving you a kiss on the face. Is that the one of the ones that you... That was Phoenix, and that was the day before um, I was taking him to a zoo. Uh, oh. oh. Yeah, so that was his, his goodbye day to people in the, at the facility who had all participated in in raising him and so Aww. yeah and they give kisses like dogs is that like the same kind of like affection or cleaning thing yeah they're very intent on hairline so eyelashes eyebrows <laughs> um and yeah oh, and then the, 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 the yawning is because when you scratch them it feels so good the yawn is sort of a like, um, oh, this is great. Yeah, it's a happy sign. Everybody thinks, oh, that, that looks like oh, they're going to Oh, it's baring its teeth. Oh. Yeah, no, no, no. It's a happy sign. Oh, my gosh. That's so awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Dre. Thank you right. so much we for coming back. It. We've, we'll have to have you come back animal. and have you talk about meerkats. And were you studying lemurs, too? Yep. Okay, we're going to have to have you back for meerkats and lemurs for parts two, three, seven, and, you know, All three right. through whatever. Sounds thank good. you so thank much. You. As always, thank you for your time. My Send pleasure. us an email, justanimalspod at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram. If you have any questions for Dr. Dre, feel free to send them to us and we'll reach out to her. Thank you as always for listening and have a great evening or morning, depending upon where you are in the world. All right. Do I need to do it?